Welcome to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast, a bi-weekly look at all things related to the growing elite clubs nationally, the ECNL. For more information on the ECNL, visit us at www.theecnl.com. Now, here's your host for Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast, former U.S. soccer press officer and longtime soccer broadcaster, Dean Linky. I am Dean Linky, and once again, I let our guests intro today's show. Hello, this is Brandon Caranta, ECNL Boys Director for Pipeline Soccer Club. Super excited about sending four teams to next weekend's ECNL Championship in St. Louis, including my Pipeline 2005 team. I'm also excited to join ECNL Boys Commissioner Jason Cutney on this week's edition of Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. And this is Jason Cutney, honored to be joined by Brandon Caranta on this week's Breaking the Line. I will also preview next weekend's National Championship for the ECNL Boys in St. Louis, including all 40 teams. And kicking off the show, breaking down all 40 teams in this week, ECNL Girls National Finals in Richmond, the ECNL Girls Commissioner and Chief Operating Officer, Jen Winnegal. We bring you Jen after this message from the ECNL. As the game continues to evolve in the United States, the ECNL remains the standard of excellence in youth soccer. The Elite Clubs National League has grown to include over 200 clubs and nearly 50,000 players across the country with a robust competition platform for teams, educational resources for coaches and clubs, and unparalleled identification and development opportunities for players. Alongside its member clubs, collaborating to create a better future, the ECNL continues to raise the game every day. The ECNL is more than a league. Welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Once again, here's Dean. Welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. We are kicking off this week's show with the ECNL Girls Commissioner and also the Chief Operating Officer. And by the way, she'll have an announcement on the Girls Commissioner, or a tease, I would say, as we end this time. We're talking about the great Jen Winnegal. Jen, welcome back to the ECNL podcast. Thank you, Dean. Happy to be back. Excited to see you again and, and to really close out this year really strong. We've been through a lot. Hope you had a great 4th of July as well. Jen, thanks for the 4th of July. Well wishes. And here we go. You're headed into the ECNL Girls National Finals, and you just completed a massive ECNL National Playoffs out in Seattle. Our biggest playoffs event, I believe, in the ECNL Girls history. Over 370 teams traveled into Seattle, Washington. Over 700 college scouts attended. It was amazing. We couldn't have queued up the weather. A little drizzly on day one. Perfect the rest of the time there. We are out there for eight play days. Amazing. Great facility. Beautiful. You can't wish for a better ending for a season like this. We've really continuing to grow the game in a lot of ways and having low humidity and perfect weather, sun in the sky was just the icing on the cake. While we were in Seattle... We gave away some hardware. We crowned 13 champions at both the club competition and regional league level at multiple divisions. The crown jewel being the ECNL 1819 champions, Concord Fire Platinum, featuring recently named Gatorade National Player of the Year, Riley Jackson. Amazing game. I actually snuck away from some of the other logistics and behind the scenes duties, if you will, and, and watched that game top to finish. And it was amazing. I can't even explain when you get to watch a game. And you're kind of like rooting, maybe it'll go to overtime, maybe some PKs. I just want more soccer. Both teams were absolutely amazing. And it was Slammers 
HB, both coaching staff. They really made it interesting. Concord got up early 2-0. There was a red card against Slammers. I mean, just exciting. And, and Slammers came back, got into 3-2, and, and we ended at regulation. But the last 15 minutes, and both teams can attest, Slammers had their number. And, and I thought it was going to get really interesting, and we were going to get some extra time there. But unbelievable game. A lot of those players are moving on to the next chapter. But yeah, just a shout out to both clubs. Exciting soccer. and looking forward to seeing some more of that as we head into Richmond. Some of the other champions that we crowned in Seattle or North American Cup, Showcase Cup A, Showcase Cup B in the 16s and 17s age groups, and then the regional league finals for the 13 through 18, 19. So a lot of moving parts, a lot of celebrations, quite a few penalty kicks, again, coming down to the wire and that's what you want. You want tough games and great competition. Great time in Seattle, as Jen Winnego already said, all leading up to the ECNL National Finals this week in Richmond. So at least they're coming to you, Jen, which will be nice. And, you know, when you make it to the final 40 teams here left, I think it's worth saying to every single team, we're going to do that coming up with Jason Cutney on the boys' side as well, Jen. So I'm just going to give you the floor to break down the brackets, beginning with the youngest up to the oldest, if that's okay. It's exciting when the event comes to our hometown. West Creek Soccer Complex is unbelievable. We've had this event in particular here several years and, and they do an incredible job. Before I start and name the, the matchups here, it's, it's really exciting. Our first time going into eight team brackets. We've done final four, if you will, but it's exciting to bring more teams into this last event of the season. Something that's unique to this event while we bring more teams in, we have eight clubs that have more than one team coming to this event. So they have several teams and of course, different age groups. It's exciting, made the schedule a little bit challenging, but exciting to see that we have quite a few clubs bringing multiple teams into this event. So without further ado, I'll, I'll start off with the U13 bracket. We have MatchFit taking on PDA Blue, a little conference rivalry, if you will. So that's gonna be quite a match with the young ones. Richmond United will be taking on San Diego Surf. Eclipse will be taking on Minnesota Thunder, yet another conference rivalry. And Sousa will be taking on Solar. That's the U13 bracket. This is their first dip into the national final pool. So exciting to see what they have to offer. The U14s, we will have SLSG Navy take on Legends FC. Eclipse will be taking on Slammers HB. Solar will be taking on PDA Blue. And San Juan will be taking on Real Colorado National. With the U15s, we have Solar taking on PDA Blue. Last Solar PDA Blue matchups across these age groups. MVLA taking on Legends, SLSG Navy taking on Oklahoma Energy, and the FC Dallas taking on Slammers HB. That rounds out the U15 bracket. With the U16s, once again, Solar taking on PDA Blue. It's going to be a club championship there with them. SLSG Navy taking on Slammers HB, Internationals SC taking on FC Dallas, and Colorado Rapids taking on Ohio Premier for the U16. The final age group, the U-17s, we will have Beach FC taking on Richmond United, local club, Slammers HB taking on FC Dallas, Real Colorado National taking on Solar, and Crossfire Premier taking on Sporting Blue Valley. Those are our brackets. So Jen, did I just hear Solar five times? Is that right? You did. They are represented in every age group and they're not the only ones. There are eight other clubs in Slammers HB, PDA Blue. SLSG Navy, Real Colorado National, Legends FC, Richmond United, and Eclipse all have 
two or more teams attending this national finals. So not only do you have some teams like Solar that have five and others that have two or three, but you also have some first timers. That's exciting as well. Yes. Going down this list, I know there's a, quite a few, like I said, eight clubs that have two or more teams in here, but it's also exciting to see that the game is growing in so many different areas of the country. And some of our newest members have representation here in Oklahoma Energy, Legends FC, Sporting Blue Valley as well. I may be forgetting one, but again, there's, there's a lot of excitement wrapped up in this, whether you have one team or several teams coming to this event, there's something to be said. And again, our, our local club, Richmond United, two teams represented. It's huge. It just proves that the game is growing in different areas. It's not just the bigger cities or traditional soccer towns. It's really starting to expand. And, and that's what it's all about. All right. Are you emotional at all knowing that this will be your last ECNL National Finals as the girls commissioner? You've got the big job of chief operating officer. Are you excited and relieved or both? I got to go with both. I'm excited. And a lot of it has been kept in. We have an amazing third ECNL girls commissioner ready to go, ready to be announced. As I've progressed in my career path within the ECNL, I'm excited. I am going to be very relieved when we announce this person and they can take the reins. I think that we can only go up with their leadership and, and some of the things that we've been discussing over the past several months behind the scenes. So again, ex excited for them to come out and, and really take the reins and, and I can fully move over into the operational events side of it and, and dig a little deeper. Jen, I always enjoy talking to you. Always enjoy having you on the podcast. I know it's a big weekend coming in with Richmond. Let's end with this because it takes a lot of people behind the scenes that support you, Jen, to make this work. Just a quick little mention to your staff and Richmond hosting to make this happen. It's incredible. The amount of planning and logistics that go into it, the team, and, and I've been in this new role for, I guess it's about eight months now. I couldn't ask for a better team. We have a variety of personalities. Everyone is a doer, not afraid to get their hands dirty. And, and that's the type of leadership style that I hope that I am conveying to them. And, and we are getting it done. And a lot of the staff are new, new faces, and everyone's hit the ground sprinting. And I, I couldn't ask for anything more. Good luck this weekend. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, Dean. That's Jen Winnego, the ECNL Girls Commissioner. When we return, Jason Cutney, the ECNL Boys Commissioner, as the following weekend, it'll be time for the ECNL Boys National Championship. Jason Cutney on the balance. Nike is a proud sponsor of ECNL Girls. Nothing can stop what we can do together to bring positive change to our communities. You can't stop sport because hashtag you can't stop our voices. Follow Nike on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Soccer.com is proud to partner with the ECNL to support the continued development of soccer in the U.S. at the highest levels. We've been delivering quality soccer equipment and apparel to players, fans, and coaches since 1984. Living and breathing the beautiful game ourselves, our goal at Soccer.com is to inspire you to play better, cheer louder, and have more fun. Visit Soccer.com today to check out our unmatched selection of gear, expert advice, and stories of greatness at every level of the game.
Welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Dean Linky now joined by the ECNL Boys Commissioner, Jason Cutney. Always love having him on the show. And here we go as we're a couple weekends away. This weekend will be the girls' national finals. Next week, Jason, will be the boys' ECNL national finals. You're coming off a fantastic weekend in San Diego for the ECNL national playoffs. Can you just give an overall recap on how things went in San Diego? Yeah, Dean, San Diego was, was amazing. I mean, it's obviously an amazing place to be in the country. The weather was 75 and sunny every single day. Fields were great. We're spending a week there and really seeing the grueling level for these boys to play through that competitive nature for you know six or seven days straight for some of them was a lot. But what really stood out was just how much camaraderie there was on the sidelines. The amount of club representation that you saw at each one's games was pretty impressive. You know, to see clubs just have their younger teams or their older teams right in that corner, waiting for goals to be scored to celebrate with their, their club mates really made for a special weekend. And that really stood out. We talked to a lot of college coaches. We had over 250 college coaches there at the event, which is great. And many of them really said that that's what stood out to them. Just seeing that competitive fire come out in those players. And, you know, look, we had a, we had a large event and had not only our ECNL national playoffs for the 13s to 17s, but it had the ECNL national championships for our 1819s where Crossfire ended up beating a great NTH NASA team in PKs. And we also had our ECNL Regional League National Championships there. And it was just a lot of fun to see kids raising trophies and playing for something and, and really kind of seeing their best come out of them. And, and the same thing with the coaches. So for us, we wrapped it up and felt very good about it. We advanced 40 teams to move on to St. Louis next weekend. Obviously, the girls have their event this weekend. And it's just a lot of excitement coming out of a great year. You know, when you work this hard to be one of the 40 teams, I think you need to get your name heard on Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. So if it's okay with you, Mr. Cutney, I'd love for you to read off the brackets and the teams from starting with the youngest all the way to the oldest. Absolutely. So at the at the youth 13s, the way this sets up for all of these age groups is that we have basically an elite eight. So eight teams go into a quarterfinal and it's a, it's a knockout round. So Let's start with the U13s. Um, top of the bracket here, we have Crossfire Premier playing Richmond United. And the winner of that club, that matchup will play off against San Diego Surf versus Pipeline. And actually, Pipeline, uh, we have Brandon Corenza coming up here on Breaking the Line ECNL podcast here as a special guest because Pipeline actually advanced four teams uh, to the national finals. They're the, the leader in that respect. So San Diego Surf will play off against Pipeline there at a, a very good matchup with two Titans there at the U13 age group. And then in the other bracket, we have Sporting California Arsenal playing Legends FC, which is a very interesting one, Dean, because that's two clubs coming out of the same conference in the Southwest. It doesn't often happen that way, but those teams are very familiar with each other, and, and that will certainly be a battle. And the winner there will play off against NTH, NASA, and STA. And STA actually was a number two seed uh, in their bracket going into the, the, the final round of games in San Diego. They were the only two seed to advance and knock off their, uh, the bracket winner and move on to, to St. Louis. So some interesting matchups there, but that, that is our field for the U13 age group. At the U14s, uh, we're looking at Utah Avalanche playing LAFC SoCal, so a mountain club playing against a Southwest club. And the winner there will play against SDSC Surf, another SoCal club playing against the famous Dallas Texans Academy. So that's the top of the bracket. As you go down, you have Seattle United playing Heat FC. So again, a lot of West Coast teams in this particular age group. 
And then Beach FC from Southern California is playing world-class from New York. So again, the East Coast, West Coast there to see who will take on the winner of Seattle United and Heat FC. At the U15 age group, we have Dallas Texans Academy taking on San Diego Surf. Certainly a game that's uh, going to garner a lot of attention. Two top teams are there playing off against each other. And the winner will take on Pipeline versus Heat. So it's very interesting for us because Heat FC is actually coached, that particular team is coached by Andy, who is our, I use his last name, but no one, in, no one in the world knows his last name. Andy is our social media guru here. So a lot of the kids in the league will know Andy from hopping all around uh, the events and putting them on Instagram and everything else. This will be a different view of Andy on the sidelines, and he does a great job with this team. So Andy Coverstone will be out there with Heat FC taking on Pipeline. In the lower side of the bracket, we have NTH NASA out of Atlanta taking on FC Dallas. Certainly going to be a tough matchup there. And then the other side of that is Louisville City from the Ohio Valley Conference taking on Defeaters Kicks Soccer Club from Dallas. Two teams that, to be honest, I'm extremely interested to watch just because of how they performed in, uh, in the San Diego event. Two more age groups here with the U16s. We have Pipeline taking on Oklahoma Energy. So again, Pipeline's a name you keep here and here. Deservedly so. They advanced four teams to the national finals. Oklahoma Energy, a very tough team out of the Texas Conference and one of the more difficult conferences in the country. The winner of that game will match up against the winner of Arlington Soccer and Nationals SC. So Arlington out of Virginia, Northern Virginia, and Nationals out of Detroit. The other side of that bracket, you have CESA from South Carolina matching up with FC Dallas. And you have Patty Adores from Southern California matching up with Eclipse Select out of Chicago. So some talent coming in from Southern California, from the middle of the country in this one. I'm, uh, I'm certainly excited to watch the U16s. And last but not least, the U17s. We have South Carolina United matching up against FC Dallas. And the winner of that game will take on MatchFit Academy out of New Jersey versus San Diego Surf. So MatchFit in San Diego, coast to coast there. Winner of that one playing off against South Carolina United and FC Dallas. And the other side of that bracket, you have NCFC Youth Academy out of North Carolina playing off against Dallas Texans Academy and Patty Adores matching up against Pipeline. So again, Pipeline, you heard that name a lot first and last, but that Patty Adores team and Pipeline, that's, that's for me, one of the best games that we'll see at the playoffs this year, two top teams coming into that one winner. That one will take on NCFC youth Academy versus Dallas Texans Academy. So again, that's 40 teams overall, U 13s all the way up to U 17s. This is the largest event we've ever hosted coming out of what was a, a massive event in San Diego, but certainly very excited to see these teams in St. Louis. So there you have it, Dean, all 40 teams that made it to the ECNL Boys National Finals in less than two weeks from now. And as promised, when we return to Breaking the Line, I'll be joined by Brandon Quaranta, the ECNL Boys Director for Pipeline Soccer Club. This is Jason Cutney, ECNL Boys Commissioner. I'll be right back with Brandon after this message from our sponsors. The ECNL is pleased to announce Quick Goal as the official goal provider and partner for ECNL Girls and ECNL Boys, a new partnership created to support the growth and development of the country's top players, clubs, and coaches. At all national events, including national playoffs and national finals, the Quick Goal Coaches Corner will provide hospitality and social space for ECNL girls, ECNL boys, and collegiate coaches. Quick Goal will also be the presenting sponsor of the National 
National Championship winning ECNL Girls and ECNL Boys Coaches of the Year and the ECNL Girls and ECNL Boys Goals of the Year. Quick Goal looks forward to helping the ECNL continue to elevate the standards of youth soccer and provide more opportunities to players on and off the field in the coming years. ECNL Boys is partnering with Puma for the second year, driving sport forward with the leading products and the next generation of pros who wear them. Puma has proven themselves as the fastest sports brand in the world, the fastest innovation, the fastest players, and the fastest products in the game. They're the perfect partner to complement the speed and talent of our teams. In keeping with their mantra of forever faster, Puma introduces the world's fastest boot, the Ultra. The only boot engineered for speed, the Ultra combines a woven upper with a lightweight outsole for direct forward motion, speed and acceleration. It's the best in the game, designed for the best players in the game. And welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. I am Jason Cutney, the ECNL Boys Commissioner, and I am joined, as I mentioned before the break, by Brandon Corenza from Pipeline. So, Brandon, welcome to the show. Jason, appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. So let's start with the good stuff here. You guys have qualified four teams to move on to St. Louis this year in the ECNL Finals. You are the only club in the country to do that. Let's, let's hear it. What's the magic sauce? How'd you do it? Well, it mostly comes down to me and my coaching and, and my directing from the club. <laughs> sure. No, but, uh, you know, listen, we, we were talking about as a, as a staff and <clears throat> whenever you're in a league of this caliber and an event such as the playoffs, you know, to come in and, and think you have a chance to qualify four teams is just unrealistic. Um, you know, it'd, it'd be it'd be conceited or cocky to come in and think this was going to happen. So, you know, we just feel blessed um, that the boys were able to get it done. Blessed that the work we did throughout the year showed up in the most important time of the year. Um, and, and quite frankly, lucky. Uh, here's the reality. There's a lot of good clubs, and a lot of good teams, and you can play really well and, and not qualify a team or, or two through. So you have to get some breaks along the way, and we were able to do that. But we think it's um, – you know, it's payment for a lot of work over a lot of months, and, and we're just proud that we're able to get it done. You guys came into the league a couple of years ago, and, and I know remember having those conversations with you. One of the main things that you used as kind of a KPI last year was the number of teams you qualified into the playoffs initially, and you were certainly on that path to getting all six age groups in. And, and I remember you kind of expressing the frustration when you had five of them last year, I think, that made it to the, uh, to the playoffs. And so you know, now to get four of them onto the finals, making it through that first round is quite an accomplishment especially coming through, you know, a COVID year or whatever we want to call these last couple of years that were also a little bit funky and took us out of our rhythm. What was it about this year? Did you kind of have a sense early going that these teams were on that trajectory? Did anything change throughout the year as the, as the players started to believe in themselves more and more? Yeah, well, first of all, we're really confident in our player pool. We thought we had a player pool that could, um, number one, compete in the Mid-Atlantic region, which we consider one of the better regions in, in the entire country. Um, so that's our first goal, to be competitive in that league, finish towards the top, and, and really test ourselves against some, some of the best clubs. But I think one of the important things was going through the process last year as a staff figuring out the schedule, the competition, you know, what we were really up against, um, you know, coming back into year two, I think we were better prepared. I think we did a better job, um, had a better understanding. And, and I think the same can be said for our players. You know, it's, it's your first go through. I don't want to say it's a test run because it never is. Um, we thought we stacked up well, but, you know, in the end last year, we're, we're a club with really high expectations and, and we felt that we fell a little short come, uh, come the playoffs in the round of 16. And, um, 
you know, we won, we were very motivated to come back in year two and, and show that our teams weren't only good enough to make the playoffs, but we were good enough to get it through a few groups through. And um, like I said, we, we, we were really proud of the boys and, and, and what they did in San Diego to, uh, to push through. So obviously we, you know, the youth game has come a long way. You and I have talked about that many times before we didn't have these experiences as young kids, you know, the, the same thing that these players are having today. And we had certainly, um, just uh, not the same complexes. I know that for sure, but San Diego was a beautiful facility, beautiful, you know, beautiful in every single way. Talk to me about your youth career though. I, I know you ended up playing at UMBC and moved out to Hofstra to finish it out. But what about the club side of things? Where, where'd you grow up? How'd you play? What, what club? Who was instrumental in that path for you? Yes. I grew up in the Baltimore area, played, played all my club soccer there. Um, so I played for um, soccer club of Baltimore, which, was a legendary club back in the day in this area and, and was one of two clubs that combined to make the Baltimore Bays. My career was over before the, the Bays came through, but um, I was one of those two groups. And, you know, much like a, a lot of stories, it was more localized club soccer. And we did some traveling, went to a couple major events, but it really built all up to state cup at that time. Um, and uh, we would kind of design our year so that we, we didn't play in that knockout round towards the end. And, you know, I graduated through there and, and finished my career um, on a good Potomac team who was coached by Steve Nichols um, at that time. And, you know, we had Gucci Anyewu on that team and Kyle Beckerman and, and some of those guys. So that was the end part of my career um, before I went on to college. And that was a really good experience playing with some of those guys who obviously were full national team players, um, you know, and unfortunately they were in and out of our camp because they had uh, bigger fish to fry. So, uh, come the end of the year, they, they weren't there to push us through. Um, but it was a great experience for me. I learned a lot of things around a lot of great coaches. Um, and then I went on to play uh, UMBC and then transferred and finished my career at, uh, at Hofstra. So coming out of college, how did you end up getting into the club game? You've had a very successful run on the business side of club management and club uh, development. So talk us through those first few years out of school and what really tilted in that direction for you to say that this is something that I can see as a future for me. Yeah, I tell the story all the time. I, I went through my undergraduate to uh, to go to law school. Um, and then so when I came back again, talking to Steve Nichols, a guy I played for, he asked me if I wanted to come and work at um, McDonough School with him, which is a high school in, in the Owings Mills area around here um, while I was taking a six month break before I moved on for the law school. And uh, and like I said, that was 17 years ago. Um, I dropped the law stuff. I, uh, I found a, a, a profession that um, I can't imagine the last 18 years being without, um, and, and I knew it pretty quickly. I, I don't even think I made the full six month break before I thought I really wanted to make a run of it. Um, and I started coaching with him at McDonough at that point. He was, uh, involved with a group called the Casamia Bays, which was only a few teams at that, at, at that point, but, uh, teams that were winning USYSA national championships. And I started as his assistant making, peanuts, um, which is something I need to talk to him about. Now that I look back at the salaries, this was this, this is an issue I got, I got to speak to him about, but, um, worked my way up as an assistant, um, and, and helping him at the school until I started working full-time as a school, as a teacher, um, and really got ingrained and in having my own teams, uh, with the Baltimore Bays at, at, at that point. Um, and that just kind of gave me my start, and, and I've been rolling through ever since. So, McDonough, obviously a high school known for a, a lot of sports, top-tier sports. You've had some success on the boys' side. Four MIA championships. You were also voted the high school coach of the decade, 2020. How does that happen? How do you, of all people, win high school coach of the decade? Explain. you got to explain this one to me. Santino asked me to ask this of you as well. 
Well, well, I always tease the other coaches in the league because I won it after coaching six years. So I, <laughs> I you know, I, I, I like to bring that up at our postseason meetings. No, I mean, it's a, it, it's a local um, outlet that does a really good job covering the high school sports and, you know, it's a, it's a pretty lofty title and, a, and an award to give somebody a coach of the decade, but I certainly, uh, I certainly take it. And, and the t-shirt that I had made that says coach of the decade, I wear only two or three times a week, but um, you know, I, I, I'm proud of that. Um, and, and McDonough's listen, it's number one, it's a, it's a great community. It's a great school. It's a place I love being, but both of my daughters um, are at the school now, which is fantastic. Um, but the program is, you know, one of the best high school programs in the country. Uh, being able to establish that long before me and you know, the last eight years, I'm able to take that over and, uh, you know, win four championships in six years. And I think, you know, even elevate and take it to another level. But, um, you know, it's it, a lot of the guys that play club for us, or at least a bunch go to the school as well. So one of the cool things is being able to spend 12 months with those guys and see them, you know, every day, not only on the field, but in the classroom and in the community doing things that we're really proud of. So, um, I love being there. Like I said, my daughters are, are there. So I, I foresee myself being there for a long time. And uh, the combination of working at a school like that and then working for Pipeline, um, who, again, I think is one of the best clubs in the country with with really good people in charge, like Santino, um, who we've mentioned, obviously, Sean Rush, Phil Great, which these are the guys who, you know, put this club on the map and, and grew this thing long before I came along. So I'm just fortunate to work with people like this and uh, – I think I have one of the best combinations in the country between high school soccer and, and club setup. When you started in, uh, in the league, you were in the Northeast Conference, and then we moved you uh, and the Maryland clubs down into the Mid-Atlantic, so we just wanted to make life that much harder for you as, as we did that. But, you know, obviously that was a big move in terms of also just creating what could be one of the strongest youth soccer conferences in the country. And you have the, the Titans in that conference with you, as we all know, and it's very difficult to just play day in and day out. Weekend and weekend is... is probably harder and harder every as you go through the season, of course. So as you enter a, a year like this, and we know the, the competitive nature between youth soccer clubs in every market. Baltimore is one of those that has a lot of clubs that are all vying for a, not a humongous player pool, but a, a lively player pool. How do you guys, from a recruitment standpoint at Pipeline, how do you go out and manage that process? How do you attract players to your club? What are the, what are the KPIs that you use when you're promoting Pipeline to the local community? It's a really good question. I mean, the reality is we believe if you provide a good service, people will come to you. And, um, you know, the recruitment aspect is, is part of it, right? We're having conversations with families and, and players every day. Um, but really, we're trying to do our work on the back end. Um, and the guys I mentioned previously, you know, they wake up at nine o'clock in the morning and work nine to five um, straight through doing what's best for the club and, 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 and taking care of all of the details which is supporting their co coaches, providing a good admin. Um, obviously, the technical directors and the coaches, we're trying to figure out the platforms, which is, you know, where ECNL comes in and, and, and that sort of thing. But we believe if you're, you're, you're good people and you're doing things the right way, that um, families are, are going to see through that and see uh, that you're a good place for not only their kid to play soccer, but for them to grow and, and mature. Um, so we're just trying to provide that. We think we've done a good job. And, and as you mentioned, if you know anything about Baltimore soccer and you're around, it's a place that has traditionally been hard to consolidate. Um, and and the, re the reality is, you know, there's been different clubs in the past who have had a good run, five, six years, 10 years, whatever it might be. Um, we're trying to provide a great experience, number one, um, great competition, number two, which obviously this league does. We've really increased our ability and facilities, uh, both our partnerships with 
you know, uh, high schools in the area that we're, you know, we're um, in coordination with, we're providing fields and opportunities, but also, um, you know, they created a pipeline performance center, which is an indoor space that our players get not only work on turf, but, uh, you know, treadmill work, there's a classroom to go over film. So, you know, really trying to elevate that and, and be the, the first group, um, which I think we're on a really good pace to do to consolidate the Baltimore area. And, you know, listen, there's always going to be smaller clubs that are more regionalized and provide a different product for us, but we want to provide, you know, um, a top level um, platform for the, the best players in the area and consolidate them. And then also obviously that trickles down to all the way through the club at the different levels and the, and the different leagues um, more than an experience-based thing. So I think we're on a good track to do that. And, um, you know, we're just going to keep trying to elevate our game and push ourselves and, and never be satisfied in any of those, those areas. With the event in San Diego, it, just over 400 teams there. What stood out to me was kind of the camaraderie on the sidelines amongst the clubs. I'm sure you guys were able to experience that a number of times as well. I saw a number of the pipeline boys on the sidelines waiting for goal celebrations as a, uh, as a club. What stood out to you in that respect, with, specific to your club and then just in general with the event? I'm glad you asked that question. There's really two things, and, and this is the, my biggest takeaway from the whole event. Um, you know, number one, and we talked about this leading up in training and meetings and everything, playoffs are different. They feel different. You know, there's a different level of focus in your warm-ups, right? A little less chit-chat, more focus. You're walking around the fields, and there's a, there's a tension, but it's a good tension. There's an excitement, um, and you feel that. And I think it's, it's palpable for the coaches. It's palpable for the players. So, um, you know, we talked about, number one, that was going to be there, and you need to acknowledge it. Um, and then you need to manage that, right? Because I told him, I said, I've been in a lot of big games as a player and coach for X amount of years. Our staff has – um, but we still feel these emotions. I come into, uh, you know, a game and I still feel there's butterflies. So the, we, that feel was there. Um, and then you, you see a big goal fly in on field three and then, and then field 10 and then 12. And, and it's just, it, it was, it was magic. Um, and then the second part is obviously having four teams there. One thing that's really important to us is those teams supporting each other. Um, that also has a different feel for it. And when you have two or three teams in a corner flag and you score a, a late game winner and they run up to that flag, I mean, this is, this is why we coach the games. This is why we're all there. And, and, and we were able to see that. And luckily we were fortunate in the week to have a lot of really good moments, but we want to try to create the same atmosphere when we get to St. Louis. And it's just a special club and a, and a special time for our group. So we're excited for it. Hopefully some more special moments in St. Louis. We will be back with more with Brendan Quarenta, ECNL Boys Director for Pipeline. You are listening to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. From athletes just starting to turn heads to some of the best athletes to ever play their games, Gatorade shows that they are the proven fuel of the best. For the athletes who give everything, nothing beats Gatorade, the studied, tested, and proven fuel of the ECNL. Welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. I'm here with Brandon Quaranza, the ECNL Boys Director for Pipeline. Before the break, we were talking about his path to the playoffs, and four of his Pipeline teams have advanced to the ECNL Finals in St. Louis. All were very successful in the San Diego event. Pipeline was also very successful in U.S. youth soccer before joining the ECNL, and, and I think had four national championships during that time. So interested, Brandon, because we obviously a lot of our listeners are club directors around the country, you made a jump from being a very successful club within the USYS. Now you're a very successful club in, in ECNL and kind of building that reputation as well. Do you see it from a transition forward? Are the, are the players really buying into the ECNL? Are they experiencing something that is maybe different for them? Same, similar in some ways. What has stood out to you about joining the league so far? Yeah, so it was a couple of things. Obviously, I was familiar with, with the ECNL um, prior to my experience with Pipeline. So <clears throat> I came into it with some knowledge and um, 
some belief that, that this league was really going to take off. Um, you know, the attractive thing, and there's a lot of attractive things, but the number one is, um, you know, we won the league platform, right? We wanted to move away from the days of, you know, trophy chasing and, and going to showcases every weekend and, and jumping around and, and have something that was a year long calendar that had something at the end of it, but, but was like-minded clubs all competing with the same ideals, same philosophies, and really trying to build yourself up over the course of the year, as opposed to, trying to win Friday to Sunday with multiple games. And, and we all understand that, you know, a league platform is, is a better scenario and a better format. So, so that was number one. Then the second thing is obviously on the girls' side, um, you know, ECNL has established itself as the preeminent league and, and has, you know, look at the college placement, look at the professionals that are coming through this league. And we know that the boys' side is, is on that same trajectory. Um, and we want to be a part of that. And that's the reality. So, you know, why not get in, um, you know, early in the process? I mean, you already see just in the couple of years that we've, we've been involved, just the growth and the new clubs that are coming in and, and the conferences are, are getting more competitive and more kids going to college. And it's just, it's, you're seeing where this thing is going. And um, it's because they're doing right thing, things the right way. The league is very patient with the way they do things, which is important to us and um, not making rash decisions or, or, or jumping here or there. Um, it's a steady growth, and, and we're proud of what the league's doing, and we're just we're really happy to be a part of it. Prior to your time at Pipeline, you were with another East Nell Boys Club in Baltimore Celtic, a, a very you know, very strong club in the country that has a great reputation as well. I think uh, the story goes that Santino had to beat you, I believe, three times in a year for you to end up joining the pipeline staff. So it's, he wanted me to ask you about that, that last game. I think it was the USYS national semifinal and maybe just see if you can unearth some good stories from that day. So first of all, this guy's at the beach right now and uh, he's got time to be texting and communicating with you to, to get the story involved. He's an all-time DC United great, Brandon. I, I really, I really appreciate where his priorities lay with, with that. He should go kick his feet up and spend some time on the beach. So, I'll, I'll contact him after this, but um, no, it's a true story. So first of all, one was technically a draw because they beat us in penalties, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to nitpick on this, whatever. He, he got three results throughout the year and in national finals, it was a good game. Um, really, I, I outcoached him, which is the truth, but the players didn't execute. We all know how this goes sometimes. Um, we're a little unlucky in that, but no, no, listen, it was, it was a great story at that time. It, you know, very, I don't know how many times it's happened in history where um, cousins have competed in a national championship in a game. And it was a one nothing game, a really, really good game. And uh, I enjoyed coaching against him. I didn't enjoy the result because now I'm on the wrong end of the story for the rest of my life. But uh, it is what it is. And he can, uh, he can continue to find ways to work this into every single person we, we run into. I had no problem with that. <laughs> So your, your involvement with the club game is on the sidelines and, and also on the administrative side and, and kind of the, the professional side. So let's talk about that a little bit. You obviously on the club side from a coaching, you have a, a, a key role within pipeline as you did with Baltimore Celtic and the Bays before that and everything else. But what is it about building a club that interests you the most? You know, where you, we all know the challenges within youth soccer where there's pay for play issues. There's a, there's a number of things with facilities and developing facilities and areas with competition near local market, especially yours. What interests you the most about building a club and building a club culture? So I can say, first of all, and, and there were other clubs I did a lot more on the admin side. I got to give credit to, to Sean Rush and Phil Greatwich in this. They do a lot of the um, behind the scenes, day-to-day -day grinding um, business part of, of the deal and, you know, allows Santino and myself and, and to do some more of the, the soccer-focused stuff. But you know, listen, you just mentioned there's a lot of challenges, right? And and the main challenge is, well, not the main challenge, there's a bunch, but this is a big one, is it's become an expensive sport. 
all right, this is this is the reality. Not become it's been an expensive sport for a while, and 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 trying to figure out how we give them the opportunities, just like playing in these leagues and traveling to these events and 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 doing all the things that we. I mean, listen, this 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 costs money, but but not losing the the sense of opportunities for kids who who cannot afford these sorts of things. And you know, Pipeline is first of all really generous with their scholarshiping um, and 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 helping to find ways to to give kids opportunities. Um, you know. But this is this is this is a major thing for us to figure out. So you know we're talking every day on on bridging that gap and making sure that we're not excluding kids and keeping kids out from these opportunities and also frankly identifying these kids because there's people in a lot of pockets and, and Baltimore's a city uh, where there's there's areas that that are financially aren't doing well um, and we want to make sure that not only resurfacing these areas from a from a partnership standpoint, inviting them with opportunities to, to be around the game. But are there kids in these areas who aren't even aware of soccer and the club opportunities and stuff? So getting the word out and doing these sorts of things, I think, is one thing that, you know, our club is really focused on and, and you know, um, is going to continue to find ways to be creative uh, in these areas. You've had success with with developing players individually and, as, and collectively as a team. Let's talk a little bit about Jacob Morell, because Jacob, obviously, standout player for Pipeline, also at McDonough and was recently named the Gatorade National Player of the Year. So talk us through his journey a little bit in, in terms of joining Pipeline and coaching him both in Pipeline and at the school level. Yeah, Jacob's a great story in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I remember I'm meeting him as an, as an eighth grader and watching him play, and <clears throat> he was a gangly, smaller center midfielder who had a really good soccer brain and, and, and IQ. Wasn't a tremendous athlete at that time, average athlete, but uh, – Took, had really good ideas, really good ideas, and they, and they showed up. He was also incredibly hard worker, really good teammate. Um, you know, not this isn't patting myself on the back, but there were other guys on that team in that area that people uh, had rated above him at that time, and I liked a lot about him. Um, and, and I wanted to bring him number one because I thought he was a character kid, and 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 he would develop really well. And, and listen, I'm not sitting here telling you that I knew four and a half years down the line he was going to be the Gatorade Player of the Year, but he had a lot of really good characteristics. And then you saw him grow and mature, not only physically, but from a soccer sense. Um, he started, uh, well, no, he came off the bench as, as a freshman for McDonough and just kind of played a role. Um, then by his, his sophomore year, he was starting at center back um, with a really talented team around him. Um, and then he was with the pipeline at that time, was transitioned to center forward by uh, one of our coaches, Gaetan Caltabiano, a really good young coach for us, um, put him at center forward. Um, and I've got to be honest, I was a little skeptical at that time. I saw him as a center midfielder or center back and, and he immediately showed his ability to score goals. And he had been telling me he was a forward for a long time, but I, I didn't trust him at that time. And, um, and what happened was, you know, he grew and, and he worked and, and I got to tell you, he's equally as hard a worker as any player I've ever coached in my entire life. Like he's, he's talented. He's a good athlete. He can score goals in every variety, but and it's a good lesson for the kids underneath him. He got to where he was sheerly by outworking every single person that he comes up against. Um, and that's at every level. Even when he was a committed to Georgetown senior at McDonough School where he could have come into his senior year and cut some corners and still scored 30 goals. Um, he was the hardest working player in every session and every game. And, uh, you know, it just it, it shows you what you can do and what kind of person you're dealing with him. So he's really deserving of Gatorade Player of the Year. Um, he's only the third player in, in Maryland history and two of them have been to McDonough, which we're really proud of. And, uh, he deserves every bit of it. Within your range of abilities as a coach and as an administrator and a director, you've, you've had, 
your part in a lot of success stories, right? Let's now let's talk about the probably the most important to you, your family, right? So we've talked about seeing Santino a little bit and and how he's uh, he's won those arm wrestling matches over you a few times <laughs> over the years. But talk about your daughters now, because I know for me personally, I have two daughters. Coaching them has been very interesting because you have to realize how much harder you are on your own daughters than everyone else that you're coaching. And you have to taper that back quite a bit, which I still struggle with every day. But talk me through that in that transition for you of becoming a dad, working with your own children, coaching them. How has that changed your coaching career, both a good way and also set more challenges out there for you? My oldest daughter is a horseback rider and, and I love horses, but I've been trying to push her into soccer every day. This hasn't <laughs> happened yet, but I can tell you I'm a much uh, softer, more compassionate coach today. And, and my players who, if they're listening to this, might go, yeah, he just ripped into me the other day at, at training. So I, they might, believe, might not believe it, but it's true. Um, you know, I, I think I can't speak for every parent, but I think having kids immediately day one changes you a little bit. Um, you, just your priorities and your appreciation for things. Uh, but the second part is, you know, I deal with um, failure a lot better than I used to. So I still want to win more than anybody you're going to meet and, and prepare accordingly. But um, <clears throat> it used to consume me from the sense of I would come home, not be able to eat, sleep for three days after a loss. And, and it would really almost unhealthy affect me the way I do things. I'm much better now at, at, at putting that in a little bit of a box. And, and when I come home to those two girls and, and, you know, they don't care if I won, lost, tied, whatever, and, and, and we're able to have some family time. This is, uh, this has helped me as a coach and helped me balance things and, and, and deal with things better. And, and I'm as fiercely competitive as I've ever been, but I have a much better balance as a coach these days since, since having those two. So, so I thank them for that. It changes our priorities, right? And we, we start to think about things a little bit differently. Speaking of priorities, I guess one really great question here, you got four teams going to St. Louis, a short break between playoffs and finals. What do you do to prepare those teams and those players? Is it different than how you built up for playoffs? What's similar? What's different? Yeah, it's 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 different. Um, with the shorter window, you know, number one, the boys work their tails off in San Diego. Um, so physically, mentally, they needed a couple of days. So we sent them to the beach. Uh, most of them went to the beach, went on vacation when they got home and, and, and hopefully kicked the feet up, had some family time and, and were able to recharge the batteries. And, and that's our staff as well. You know, you need that. And then we just talked about balance with family and everything else. The players need balance as well. And um, so we gave them that and we'll start getting back to work tomorrow. Um, and it'll be, you know, listen, the, all your work's been done this year um, from the standpoint of preparing your teams, right? Physically, fitness wise, we should be certain levels, you know, technically, right? We, we've done enough tactically. We've talked about things. So it's really about maintenance um, and fine tuning some things, obviously, Number one, we're going to do a lot of research. We have done research on our opponent, so we'll be doing some specific things on, on people we play. Um, this is important, and this is a little um, maybe a little different than than San Diego. We have multiple opponents to prepare for. We know it's it's knockout, and and you have one to concentrate on. And nothing else matters. So we'll do some of that. Um, we're going to make sure that we stay healthy and and not over push our guys in in a short period of time. Um, and then, you know, can you put in a wrinkle, a free kick play or, or something special to, uh, to, to figure out a way to sneak out a game? We, we understand there's going to be small margins in these games. Um, nobody's going to playoffs and winning four or five nil and, and, and resting their players second half and walking out. This, there's going to be one or two plays between their special players and our special players to decide it. And um, we got to make sure mentally and physically we're, we're in a good spot. And, um, 
when, when we, when we get out to St. Louis and, uh, you know, we got to trust that we've done the work throughout the year and not over 10 days, but over 10 months. Um, and, and that'll show through in, in the end. So that's our hope. And we're just going to enjoy the experience. We're going to make sure they have fun. We're going to be super focused and take care of ourselves out there and, and, uh, hope that our, our special guys can make a few more plays in theirs. Well, you, you said it earlier that you guys expect to win. So I'm going to put you on the spot here. What are your expectations with your four teams in St. Louis this year? I mean, again, listen, I'd be lying if I didn't tell you that we want to go out there and win, win four championships. Um, do I think it's realistic or likely? I, I no. Um, but that's, that's the way we're going to prepare. That's going to be our attitude going into it. Our players would expect nothing less from us and, and, and they know what we demand. And um, we're going to put ourselves in the conversation in all four. I really believe that. So uh, we'll be ready. And we know the other coaches and staffs are really good and they're really player. The player pools are really talented. So, um, hopefully we can get a, get a few bounces and do enough. And, and we're, like I said, we're looking forward to the experience. We appreciate everything the league's done throughout this year to, to set up the entire year. And San Diego was a, a special event that we all really enjoyed. And uh, we're looking forward to St. Louis. Well, Brandon, I appreciate you joining us today. Since I could say this, since taking my position with ECNL, I've met a lot of, a lot of people, a lot of directors over the years here, and you've always been one of the most stand up and classy guys that I've, I've had the pleasure of working with, and I, should, I truly appreciate your involvement with the ECNL, Pipeline's involvement with the ECNL. The great story Santino has buried you with uh, over the years have helped me tremendously and through this interview process as well. So I'll send him a thank you note for that. But again, thank you to you. Thank you to Pipeline. Thanks for being on this week's Breaking the Line. Appreciate you being here with us today. Jason, I appreciate it. Appreciate everything you do. Thank you. Absolutely. And I also want to thank Dean Linky and Jen Winnegal and all of our amazing ECNL staff and teams. Good luck to the girls teams that are all going to their Richmond, Virginia finals this weekend. And then next weekend, we'll, we'll be set for the uh, St. Louis ECNL boys finals for 2022. Thanks for listening to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. For more information on the ECNL, visit us at www.theecnl.com. And if you have a suggestion for the show or a great idea for a guest, please email us at info at theecnl.com. Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast is an ECNL production. ECNL, more than a league.